Bowshield wasn't satisfied with any of the bike lubes on the market, so they engineered their own. Their research proved that none of the Teflon, silicone, or synthetic formulas held up when exposed to dusty, dirty, and muddy conditions. For that reason, Bowshield T9 is designed to offer long-term lubrication and protection in any environment. Bowshield T9 waterproofs your bike chain, lubricates cables, and prevents rust with its effective all-in-one formula. The paraffin-based lube flushes out dirt and old lubricants, displaces moisture, and penetrates moving parts. Then it dries to a clean, continuous wax film that performs better than Teflon and lasts up to 200 miles. Bowshield T9 is designed to resist picking up dust, dirt, or mud, which makes it a good choice for all riding conditions. This month, Bowshield is giving away a free prize pack to a lucky listener. Go to Singletracks.com slash Bowshield to enter and visit Bowshield.com to learn more or click the links in the show notes. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Singletracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Singletracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Jeremiah Bishop. Jeremiah is an 18-time member of the USA Cycling National Team who has won countless cross-country, ultra-endurance, and mountain bike stage races all around the world, including gold at the Pan American Games in 2003, overall wins at the Breck Epic and Pisgah stage races, national titles in both short track and marathon, and multiple wins in the National Ultra Endurance Series. He's currently a member of the Canyon Topeak Racing Team and lives in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Thanks for joining us, Jeremiah. Thanks a lot, Jeff. That was uh, quite the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even do it all. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff there that I could have included. But yeah, you've had, a, you've had an awesome career. Thank you so much. Well, I mean, the stuff I'm most proud of, to be honest, is is not the racing, but sharing the sharing the stoke for cycling and some of the things that most people don't know that I do. Yeah. So I'm currently an athlete ambassador for Canyon. An athlete ambassador is wearing multiple hats. It's obviously, um, you know, going to races and racing my bike, but it's also doing demos, expos, um, supported events like the Eric Zobel ride that we did in New York City mm. at the Rapa store. We had an open demo or a chance to get people on bikes and, and to ride bikes. But I guess where I'm going with that is just the stuff off the bike, you know, working with NICA, mm-hmm. working with Virginia, high school mountain biking, doing stuff like that, doing projects like Love Trails, um, which is a really cool new micro donation app to give basically trail maintaining groups, private trail owners a chance to, um, yeah, collect donations oh, cool. for trail work. And yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, one of the many projects. I have my hands in, but, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think just, uh, you know, kind of being involved in, and sort of sharing this sport, that's probably what I'm most proud of. I mean, the racing is super fun. It's really exciting. And I've been able to really just exceed my dreams. You know, as a kid, I, I was dreamed of racing bikes for a living. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't think that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in, uh, in the real sense, you have this, um, sort of platform, you have a voice to, to really, do some good things if you think about it. And I think the athletes that, you know, kind of have this two dimensional career where they go, they race, they win, spray champagne everywhere, mm-hmm. be a part of the action. They're missing out on a lot of it. 
yeah. in a way, and that they, um, you know, sort of have this platform or voice in which they can change the the sport or get new people into the sport, encourage kids to try the sport, or you know, just get people outdoors to do something cool and, and kind of inspire people to do something cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the pursuit of racing itself. I mean, racing by nature is very selfish. And, you know, you're putting your legs up, you're hiding in a hotel room, you're, you know, trying to take very best care of your yourself so that you can perform your best and people can uh, give you attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you know, when you, when you think about how, you know, how balanced of a life can you have if that's kind of your your deal. So, you know, the, the athletes that I, you know, model my personal conduct after or at least try to are the ones that give back you know the ones that really um part of things and and part of uh making the sport better or improving the sport yeah i mean that's the reason we wanted to have you on you know kick off the year really 2020 with you know this this idea of sharing this the stoke and inspiring people to ride i want to hear a little bit about how you first got started what was the first bike that you started riding when you were a kid oh man that, that's a wild story. So I grew up in a welfare family in Baltimore County, Maryland, just outside of Baltimore City. Uh, we lived in HUD housing. You know, I had a single mom who fled Maine with the three of us kids. She had an abusive relationship and, you know, with my now deceased father. But yeah, I, we never knew him. And it was one of those situations of just growing up in a broken home Unfortunately, my mom had substance abuse issues. There were constantly people coming and going mm-hmm. and drugs and, and alcohol in, in my youth. And a lot of my finding cycling was just a, a freedom and a, and a way to see the world and learn and escape, you know, kind of the stuff that I was surrounded by. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't have realized that it gave me the tools and the, the resources to be a successful adult. And I think that's one of the things that's so intrinsic in NICA's message. You know, it's empowering, it's empowering young people with the tools they need for life Yeah. through cycling. So obviously, you know, there's a racing component and it's a national high school mountain bike league. But, you know, if you look at the inclusiveness, if you look at the activities, if you look at the camaraderie, the team building, it's really good for capturing kids that fall through the cracks of traditional ball sports you know, there's a, a real different attitude, you know, if you're trying to make the football team, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's like you're a scrub sitting on the bench or you're the quarterback, you know what I mean? Yeah. But NICA is very inclusive. It's very welcoming and will, you know, have pretty much every kid is welcome and feels really part of it. And, you know, that's part of what appealed to me about cycling was the adventure aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just the racing and, and a, you know, of course, Racing was a way, it was a, a way for me to make a living within the sport of cycling. And it was also a very, very exciting way to do so. But I'm an adventurer. I like spending time on Caltopo, creating maps and routes, you know, ride with GPS or View Ranger, staring at, yeah, all the, all the map layers. So <laughs> yeah, I love cartography and, and earth sciences and I own a coaching company. So yeah, I mean, I was a I was a pretty sharp kid, but I was hanging around with kids that were in trouble, getting in trouble. My first race, believe it or not, was on a stolen Specialized. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so yeah, yeah, 
What kind of bike was it? I mean, was this like a road race or a mountain bike? No, no, mountain no, a mountain bike race. Yeah, it was a lo- local race in Maryland Mudder. Swore I would never do it again. It, it was a pretty cool race, but it was just disgustingly muddy, rainy, <laughs> slipped, crashed a couple times. I mean, it was just brutal. Yeah. I swore I would never do it again. A thousand two hundred races later, I can't stop. I mean, I'm <laughs> still doing it. I don't have to race anymore. I mean, I can, you know, I can do a lot of what I do just getting people stoked on bikes, showing good events and things like that. But it's really a neat, um, quite a wild story. Very lucky that I found people that love to share the sport with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very lucky to, well, I mean, it's, it's part luck, but it's a lot of hard work. I found something I was passionate about and I worked my ass off and I wouldn't take defeat, you know, as a, as a loss, but I would basically just get more motivated to, to stay the course and, and learn persistence that, yeah, really carries people through life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, would you say, I mean, what first attracted you to biking? Was it sort of the freedom of being able to get on a bike and go out and explore or, or was it like your competitive nature that kind of, you know, this was an outlet for that? No, not at all. It was just a adventure, you know, it was a chance to go and, and ride into the woods and through the, Pine Barrens, down through the forest, right around the lake. I mean, it was just seeing the world, you know, and just just uh, traveling under your own power. Something magical about that. Mm-hmm. I can't quite put my finger on why it's so captivating, but I mean, when you're under your own power and you climb a mountain, I mean, that is a it's a powerful feeling. Or if you traverse a state, or if you you know get across the park, I mean, just on your own. I mean, it's something really neat. Feeling the wind whoosh past your face and the chill on your cheeks and the your heart racing at the top of a hill you didn't think you could make i mean those are those are things that really keep you going and of course the downhills i mean just it's like a dirt surfing yeah on a good day it's like dirt surfing i mean things are gliding but you're still in control Mm -hmm. you know you're you're kind of just floating through the trees things are just wishing by you like speeder bike and, and star wars i mean it's just awesome <laughs> yeah i mean when it's when it's going good it's great and it's and it's just you just chase that feeling you know and you just get back on the bike to chase that feeling so it's it's you know that's what it's about for for me and racing you know i definitely had a competitive streak and i really love to challenge myself yeah so i mean that was kind of a natural thing i, I gravitated toward that had some talent it takes definitely some genetic ability to race cross country mm-hmm. uh, or marathon distance mountain biking. So for sure, I was lucky in that regard too. And, you know, kind of found my niche in cross country racing for a majority of my career. And then like the second half of my career, you know, I kept on looking for more adventure, mm. you know, I'd race these cross country races and, you know, you do eight laps, 10 laps yeah. at Benelli Park in LA. And it's awesome. I mean, the action is the action. I mean, it's like playing basketball or something. <laughs> you know, people are trying to block you, trying to cut you off on the downhill. You're fighting for position. You know, you make the right move, counter punch, boom, land the win and short track. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah. It's definitely the same damn course as you rode all week, though. Right. And I would be at Benelli Park sitting on top of the hill and look at the 8,000 foot mountains just across the valley. Mm-hmm. And I go, damn, <laughs> I want to traverse that angels national forest the whole damn thing on my bike i want to see what the hell's up there you know in the snow fields and and so that's why i started to sort of sneak out on the side and do these races like breck epic and you know mohican 100 and wilderness 101 and margie gessick 100 
you know, all these races, they had an intrigue and a mystery and, mm-hmm. you know, they were really effing hard. But yeah, I mean, that, that stuff never gets old, man. Let me tell you what, like, <laughs> you know, going out there and doing some scary shit, I mean, that's like a thrill. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you mentioned that you've done over 1,200 races. Did I hear that right so far? Mm, that's a that's an estimate. That's yeah. a pretty good estimate, though. I've kept every number plate or bib number for every race I've ever done. Wow. And I've raced a bit of everything from BMX to road racing to mountain bike racing. Did an enduro in Chile. I did um, stage races. Never done a triathlon, but... Yeah. I mean, I've done quite a good mix of it. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's interesting, you know, in cycling, you kind of get these factions, you know, you kind of get the, the grand Fondo riders and then you've got like the, you know, the enduro guys and it's, and it's like, you know, a very specific genre mm-hmm. and, and maybe not a lot of people will go outside of their, you know, they'll, they'll go like maybe one degree outside of their genre like an enduro racer might race a downhill race now and then and they might hop in a local cross-country race right but rarely do you get a guy who'll do a grand fondo you know or big road race but then also do enduro or they'll do a gravel race Mm -hmm. so yeah i I just like bikes man (laughs) well yeah i mean you know you're not 100 years old so clearly you're doing a lot of events every year how do you, what's your secret to recovery it seems like you do more races than a lot of other pro athletes uh that'd be accurate i i think part of it is learning to listen to your body is a big part of it as you get older though your hormones change your recovery rate changes so typically i'll just focus on the quality yeah and i don't need to do quite as many mega epic rides per week. You know, I used to do close to 30 hours a week during my build wow. towards the race season, you know, especially with Topeak Ergon, we would do some 27, 28 hour weeks, but that's not totally necessary. It's more about the quality. And once the quality diminishes, your sort of training impulse drops off. Hmm. You know what I mean? If you're too tired to turn the pedals, are you really eliciting any change? Right. You know, then I think that's kind of the the takeaway. The other thing I've been doing is strength conditioning really key to the latter part of my career, the last few years. And I kind of thought that, you know, being this athlete ambassador, you know, one foot out of the door, one foot in the door, you know, might not be racing as fast this year, but I won 11 races this year. And it was really varied. It was Grand Fondo in New York, TSE, uh, Transylvania Epic, awesome stage race in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also won a gravel race called the Hilly Billy Roubaix, 10th annual. Yeah. So, I mean, there were some really neat surprises in there. Even won a local cyclocross race, you know, uh, but I think that I love to ride and I like the training. Mm -hmm. I'm notorious for doing big ass adventure rides, you know, give me a little bit of time when I'm not busy and I'm plotting out some ridiculous, stupid adventure in the mountains. You know, (laughs) I I live in an area with a lot of exploration potential, close to two, two million acres of national forest. Wow. Just in our county, 800 miles of crazy back roads. So once you get outside of this uh, cool little college town, uh, you're just in the middle of nowhere, just you know, riding through Mennonite countryside for mm-hmm. gravel roads. And then you get to the edge of the Shenandoah Valley on either side, and there's really big, challenging mountains and over 1,000 miles of trails within an hour drive of here. Wow, that's incredible. So do you ever get nervous at the start line? I mean, it sounds like you, you do so many races and I mean, it's, it's 
at this point, maybe it's automatic for you, but, but do you get nervous and how do you sort of manage that during the race? Yeah, that is a great question. I used to get really nervous. I mean, so nervous. I would like be like wanting to go vomit somewhere. Like when I was a kid and I started racing and then racing the world cups, just because you're like build up is like months. I mean, you are like looking forward to this race for months and then the days count down and then the, you know, you're thinking of all the things that could go wrong, you know, like <laughs> can't, can't get into the pedal. And for whatever reason, it would definitely ratchet up my nerves to 11. And mm-hmm. I would, um, really just have to visualize, you know, a good clean race because your body follows your mind. And if you really surround your, or, or really fill your head with positive thoughts mm-hmm. and execute positive actions, it'll often lead to positive outcomes and creating these good mental habits. Instead of thinking of what could go wrong, I would think of how it's going to go right, yeah. how it's going to feel out there on the course. What things am I going to do to create calm within the chaos? And I think my favorite World Cup tip was just or, you know, self-talk was I do not care how it goes. I care how I ride and, and how hard I try. And if I empty the tank, I can feel good about it. And so I just go out there and have to nail it, man. I just go just give it everything I had and just leave the tank empty. If you do that, no regrets. Yeah, that's great advice. And it works, I guess, right? I mean, now you line up and you have a little bit of nerves or no nerves at all? Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, only <laughs> the first, maybe the first big race of the year, but not not so much. I mean, it's really a lot less. You know, it's, uh, I think just a, at this point in my you know, racing, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much for me. It's not as big of a deal. So I'm racing for fun to see what I can do, but it's really well balanced with, uh, you know, kind of that, that feeling of like, well, you know, no matter what happens, I'm riding my bike, you know? Yeah. So what do you think about sort of the current trends, uh, in bikes that we're seeing toward adding more travel and dropper posts, even to like cross country bikes, you see that as a positive development or, what what kind of bike do you like riding right now? Man, I'm having a whole lot of fun on the Neuron. So Canyon makes a sort of, I don't know, I guess you'd call it like a mid-travel backcountry bike. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could take it to the bike park for a day. If, uh, But yeah, you definitely can feel good on it for long distances. So it's almost like a longer travel XC bike. Mm-hmm. So the Neuron is 130 front, 130 rear travel. Yeah, It basically has... Um, just a slightly more slack head tube than the Lux. So it's really good when you're going down steep chutes in the backcountry filled mm-hmm. with leaves and rocks and stuff. Yeah. And then I'll put it on like 2.4 tires, you know, 2.4 mm-hmm. downhill tire on yeah. that, like, uh, you know, DHR, DHF and dropper post and 60 mil stem and you're ready to party. It's pretty, pretty adept bike, but, uh, you know, it's not, you know, so slack and so heavy that you're not going to want to do a 40 mile backcountry epic ride on it. Yeah. So it's a really fun bike. I'm having a blast on it. I'd even race, you know, a, a really technical cross country race on it. Mm-hmm. They're rare though. The, the the races I'm thinking of are very rare, like the super rocky, you know, insanely nasty kind of hardcore stuff. Yeah. I kind of like that stuff though. It's, it's fun. It's, it kind of creates a little different challenge to it. The other bike that I really enjoy riding right now is the grail is a grail will fit like one point. I think it's like 1.5 tire 1.6. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it fits a pretty big tire for uh, a gravel bike and 
Man, I mean, you can just take it on most easy single tracks. So a single track that I would normally, I don't know, maybe find easy mm-hmm. is is kind of a fun challenge. You hit like, you know, a couple little parks or a couple, you know, single tracks from the door and you can just cobble together all kinds of wild rides you'd never do. You know, there's the, there's trails out there. You know, it's a good trail, but it's only like two miles long, mm-hmm. but it's by itself over there on this hill or mountain. Yeah. And normally you're just like, yeah, I'm not going to drive over there and ride. <laughs> right. I'm going to go to the place that's got 30 miles of trails and that ends up being the same place. Yeah. But this you can take and do a dirt road, go underneath a bridge, go along a highway, shortcut through the grass, go through the forest, mm-hmm. you know, and then you you hit, you know, a couple single tracks. Then you finish with the local park single track and all of a sudden you've got a 40 mile ride and completely crazy mix up. Yeah. So it's really kind of a fun it kind of gamifies it a little bit. And, and I also try to see what I can get away with. There's a really cool video on a vegan cyclist YouTuber that we had out for my event, the Alpine Loop Grand Fondo. Mm-hmm. So I run a um, charity Grand Fondo in the fall every year. So we have it's just a big excuse to party and go big. So <laughs> we, we basically have three parties and one bike ride. Perfect ratio. <laughs> nice. And then we raise money for a prostate cancer awareness project. And we also raise money for bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure here in Harrisonburg. So we do um, beer garden and the funds go to Shenandoah Valley Bicycle Coalition, my local club, super active club, do a ton of trail building, trail maintenance, uh, bike advocacy, and part of what makes Harrisonburg the cycling capital of the Virginias. So it's really neat. You know, we have a good time. We had vegan cyclists out there this year, but then the day after the sort of you know, traditional road slash gravel Grand Fondo. The next day, I'm like, all right, we'll take vegan cyclist Tyler out for a little more adventure. I learned him a grail and we, we took him over to Mastodon and Westlope. And if any of my uh, or our podcast listeners have been to the Mastodon and Westlope, it's pretty damn rocky. <laughs> Ledge rocks, berms made out of rock, bridges over creeks and drainages made out of rock. Mm-hmm. We tried to build some some more like, you know, green trails at the at the bottom so we cobbled together some of this stuff and basically i took him mountain biking on the gravel bike yeah it was friggin' awesome so <laughs> his eyes his eyes were just huge you know he's kind of more of a road rider yeah but check out that episode it's really cool kind of opens your eyes to what you can do on the grail it's just super fun it's, it's kind of like ultra light fishing for bass or something you know you're like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's cool. Well, I mean, would you say, is that, is that pretty much your quiver? Are those the only two bikes that you need, like a gravel bike and then like a 130 mil trail bike? Is that pretty much covering what you're trying to ride? No, I ride the Spectral quite a bit. 27.5 longer travel bike, really jumpable, really fun bike park bike. So that's what I'll do if I go up to Bryce. Uh, I really like that one just, you know, cause it's more nimble. The Strive is really good for backcountry, really rocky stuff around here. And since I have a demo fleet, I basically ride everything. <laughs> I ride it all, all the bikes. Yeah, you've got quite the quiver. Yeah, and I've been into race too. That's the other, that's another bike that's actually really the sleeper of Canyon's um, lineup. They've got like this uh, endurance road bike, but it'll fit 32C tires. Hmm. So for most people, you know, that are riding, you know, dirt roads and gravel roads that are state maintained, that's a pretty good bike that you can also do a grand fondo road race whatever mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of like um a really neat bike and then grand fondo new york i won on the air road so the air road is the super fast looks like the batmobile you know with these like 
fared um, seat tube and mm-hmm. arrowhead tube and you know this huge flat down tube and I've got these gigantic deep dish wheels on it. I mean, it looks like total Batmobile. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just depends. It's it's tough when you have all these bikes and you're trying to have a power meter on, you know, at least your two main bikes. Yeah. So I've been riding the um, Neuron and the Grail because basically I can hop on a road ride and I can hang like it's an ass buster, mm-hmm. you know, if you have the knobby tires on. But I can do it. I can just put some slick tires on there as well. Mm-hmm. But kind of like if I only had two bikes, it would probably be if I wasn't a racer, it would be the Neuron and the Grail, believe it or not. Yeah. That sounds about right. Were you, would you ever consider yourself a weight weenie? Like back when you're doing more cross country stuff, did you obsess about that at any point? you damn straight. I did. <laughs> it'd be like, it'd be like asking if you like, like prize money. Yeah. Well, I assume so, but it doesn't sound like you are anymore. So what, what changed? Well, I mean, I was always performance oriented and I think, you know, in the nineties, a lot of the narrative in the magazines and then the articles was how to make your bike lighter Mm -hmm. to perform better. Yeah. But for sure, I think, you know, during my marathon distance part of my career, the latter half of my career, I've been more focused on just performance. Mm -hmm. And I was the first person at Cape Epic to use a dropper post five years ago, six years ago. And it was awesome. Yeah. You know, not only is it more control, more fun, but it's safer. You know, if you're going down a a death shoot and there's just crazy insane wall of dust and you're just riding over cinder blocks and just loose shit everywhere. Yeah. I mean, man, you can get your foot on the ground quick if you're on, if you have a dropper and you're much less prone to go over the bars if you hit something awkwardly. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's performance for sure. You know, it's just a little more holistic kind of look at total performance. Right. I mean, granted, you know, there's just the fact of the matter is a human engine is pretty weak we put out about a quarter of a horsepower. You know, if you look at the average for a, you know, really long, tough mountain bike race, it's like a quarter to a third of a horsepower. So like a lawnmower, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a lot. So if you have a heavy bike, guess what? It's costing you 10 minutes. And 10 minutes is basically enough time for the dude that won to take a shower and be like <laughs> in his like pajamas at the finish line. Right. You know, when you're looking at a hundred mile race, so it's important to have have kind of a balance. Yeah, but I mean, can can a dropper post save you time though, or can you know better tires save you time? Totally, absolutely. You know, and it's kind of horses for courses. You have to just look at what works the best. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was racing Wolf Gap or Michaud or you know the Mass Nut and Ring, you know, just really technical, rocky stuff like that, it's a no brainer. You know, having good rubber makes sense. It's it's uh, more control more fun, faster dropper post for sure. I race dropper post, I would say 90% of the time, you know, the only exception is, uh, maybe like a Leadville 100, you know, it's more like dirt road racing. Yeah, that's cool. Well, speaking of Leadville, you know, you've won several big races in Colorado. Does the altitude affect you? You're in Virginia where you live at probably above a thousand feet above sea level. So how do you, how do you prepare to race in thin air? Ah, well, that's the, that's the beauty of science, you know, when you have a a good bit of research behind adapting to altitude, proper nutrition is pretty important. Hmm. I'd say the, the interesting thing is it used to be the bane of my existence. You know, I do these nationals and race at altitude and I was like, wow, I'm just going to suck today. So I better just prepare for suckage. 
<laughs> just like <laughs> it was that bad. I'm not kidding you. And I would try, I would try to frame it positively, breathe faster. I don't know, man. It was just wicked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your base training has a lot to do with that as well. So your, um, your adaptations to base training and doing large volumes of base training mm -hmm. help enhance your ability to, to deliver oxygen basically. And when you have less oxygen, you know, that helps. So if you've got a high lactate threshold and very good, you know, vascularity, all the adaptations you get from, you know, long training, mm -hmm. they help you at elevation. But do you, are you at a disadvantage though, to somebody who lives and trains at, at elevation? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. So yes, you are at a disadvantage to someone of your equal ability, Jeff, that lives and trains at altitude. Mm -hmm. The thing is, if you do the proper steps to get acclimated, then you can at least be on par with, you know, sort of your altitude counterpart. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been able to win big races at altitude. I've won Breck Epic four times. I've posted the fastest American time at Leadville, six hours in a few seconds. <laughs> and I've won the American Mountain Classic stage race, which is at 10,000 feet in southwest Utah. Uh, I've won a Norba National in Aspen. I was second to Ryder Hedgedal, so don't ask me how that exactly counts. <laughs> as far as uh, you know, my actual placing um, at the National in Durango um, at altitude. So I actually do pretty well at altitude. During my career, I had a very high VO2 max, which also helps. So that's your ability to transport oxygen. Mm -hmm. So there's some natural ability to that. But I think the difference was the volume of training that I did between when I was not so good at altitude and when I was good at altitude. I've also used the altitude tent. Oh, wow. So my most recent, you know, win at Breck Epic last year was after um, doing a couple weeks, I would do like two days a week for just 40 minutes on the uh, stationary trainer with the hypoxico mask. So it's intermittent hypoxic training. So that's when you're actually you know, using a mask to train, mm -hmm. reduce oxygen in the air. And that helps take the edge off of it, honestly. But the real key is getting up there 10 days or earlier. Oh, wow. So I flew out to um, Colorado, you know, was bopping through um, Colorado Springs for a day, sort of like, you know, halfway day, mm -hmm. and then went up to 10,000 feet. So I was sleeping at 10,000 feet, which can be miserable. Yeah. The reality is sometimes it's different. You know, I, I like this year I went up to Leadville thinking I was like, okay, I'm just going to rock star this shit. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm riding great. You know, I, I beat the course record at the off-road assault on Mount Mitchell, really tough race in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I was on fire and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just going to roll a dice here, top three, you know, whatever. And, uh, just, phew, I was dying, man. <laughs> I was just suffering so bad. The altitude just kicked my ass and, you know, I had a mean headache and yeah, man, I mean, that's, that's what happens. But if you do your homework, I did not do my homework this time around. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to spend some extra time with the kids. I've been traveling a lot for, you know, this gig. And I was like, well, I'm going to spend a little more time with the kids and, Rolled the dice on that one and didn't work out. You do your homework, train hard, go to altitude early. Ten days is ideal. Mm -hmm. If you don't have ten days, five days plus some, you know, training with a altitude tent or altitude mask, doing intermittent hypoxic training, that'll help. Okay, cool. So 
you talked a little bit about some of the mountain bike stage races you've done, like the Pisgah stage race, uh, Transylvania Epic. How do you win a race like that? Do you go out every day hoping that you're going to win that day or do you look at the race sort of more strategically? Absolutely. I mean, the race is often defined by your worst day Hmm. as much as it is by your best day. So imagine like, you know, if you're just completely crushing yourself, you know, and you win a stage, you win the second stage, but then stage three, you just can't recover and you're lose 20 minutes. Game over. So you really have to you have to really be able to be opportunistic yeah. as to where you can take time. And then there are times when you're holding, you know, you're really trying to put out a really strong, repeatable effort day after day. So when you're looking at these stage races that are, I would say, there's kind of two categories. There's sort of like the three day stage races and those, you know, are full gas. And if you get to five to eight days, you have to find this sort of steady level hmm. um, and and kind of respect your limits. You can go eight for 20 minutes a day during those, <laughs> but you'd better respect your your average limit during the middle of one of those. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's about just marking your competitors. You know, if they don't want to go hard and you're in the yellow jersey or leader's jersey, whatever color it is, then it might not be bad to just be like, all right, I'm cool with this pace. Yeah. You know, I don't need to win this stage. And and if you're tailgunning and, you know, using those people to sight read, draft, really just sort of, you know, monitor your nutrition, really keep on top of your um, hydration. Mm-hmm. And the next day, OK, you've got the tools, you know, to take it. And And typically you'll sort of break down a stage race into like, you know, that initial few stages. There's usually a queen stage or or like a you know, a marquee stage where people can just hemorrhage time. You know, it's usually a really technical stage, mm-hmm. a ton of climbing or really long or all three. Um, and those are the stages that, you know, seem to define the race. And then there's usually like a shorter stage at the end where you just have to hold on to your position. Mm-hmm. Rarely do they shake up the GC. Take a look at any of the big stage races. And most of them are pretty well sorted by halfway. Yeah. Interesting. So you talked a little bit about the great riding around Harrisonburg. Tell us a little bit more about the scene there. We've been hearing a lot of good things. Oh, yeah. I mean, Harrisonburg is just a, you know, gritty college town that basically has become a East Coast epicenter of riding. Hmm. And I think it's, you know, really the scene here. It's the culture. There are people that ride around town just to get around. You know, there's a lot of people just commuting to work and you know, cycling is a real way of life. So I think that's what's different about Harrisonburg. You go to some other places, you know, and there's riding, but it's not like people are going to the grocery store to ride. Right. You know, it's not like they, um, you know, are doing alley cat races and there's, you know, this sort of like underground race scene that we have here. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, you could put together an entire season of underground races <laughs> and, and never go to a sanctioned event in Harrisonburg. I'm not kidding. Who, I mean, who's who's driving this? Is it the college crowd or is it are there, you know, sort of veteran people in town that are just just really cool? Both. There's the six pack downhill series, which is a, you know, Friday night downhill series that happens, you know, pretty much since uh, I don't know. It's been going on for maybe 15, 18, 20, at least 25 years. But, yeah, the college students, you know, seem to drive that scene. Um, I haven't been to one in a little while, but I've, I've won quite a few of them and lost quite a few of them, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just proud to have been in the mix. 
Yeah. So the, the, it's sort of pre enduro really the six pack downhills. And, you know, again, that's just sort of like one of those underground things. People just, you bring a six pack, whoever wins the parties at their house and <laughs> you better expect your shit to get wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really funny because, um, you know, there's something for everybody. There's group rides, road group rides, gravel rides, slow rides, fast rides, ice cream rides, Christmas light rides, bike parade rides, you know, there's a gravel group ride that I held Sunday or Saturday called the Krampus, which is this this terrible gravel ride with single track and, you know, hike a biking through the woods and just dumb stuff like that. Tour de Berg, Giro de Ville, there's the Harris Roubaix, which is the, you know, 25 year old gravel race ride, whatever you want to call it. The people at the front race, the people who are just, you know, out there enjoying the scene or just riding it always takes place the same day as uh, Parish Roubaix. Yeah, so there's always something to do. And that kind of attracted me to Harrisonburg, but also just the people are awesome. I mean, just a really, really cool tight-knit community. You know, it's it's definitely got a little... Yeah, it's more it's it's more of an authentic mountain town type feel than, you know, say Boulder, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, maybe more important what kind of Land Rover you drive up to the trailhead in. And I don't know, it's cool like that. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of just, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of bike you show up on. You're welcome. Yeah, that's cool. Really friendly town, really, really interesting, um, diverse mix of, of riders here, which is you know, kind of fun. It kind of really keeps you busy. Yeah. Well, you mentioned NICA at the start of the podcast. Is NICA getting big in Harrisonburg? Yeah. Yeah. We've got the local Rocktown team. We've got um, two high school race seasons here. So unlike most states where they have one high school race season, we've got the NICA season in the fall and the VAHS series in the spring, which is Virginia High School Mountain Bike League series in the spring. And so we've got... Um, yeah, twice as many races as most states. How did that happen? Did Virginia have sort of a race series before NICA came? Exactly. So we had, um, you know, the VAHS series was successful. We we're getting tons of kids, hundreds of kids showing up. But also NICA is cool because it's it's very inclusive and attracts a, a broader spectrum of schools. And, you know, there were some real positives to it. And they're like, hey, well, let's keep both. You know, <laughs> yeah. why not? And so it's been really neat to see, you know, some students will pick a season. You know, for ex- example, if you run high school track, you can't compete in NICA because it's on top of high school track in the fall. Mm-hmm. Or if you race cyclocross, I mean, forget about it. It's really difficult to do both. So right. it's really neat. Um, and that really has, has gotten more riders into the sport. And, and you're kind of seeing that, you know, a lot more um, competitors like carry on with the sport. Um, we still have a bit of a gap to bridge nationally, um, I think, within NICA racing and then moving on to collegiate racing and then, you know, sort of like, you know, racing as an adult or activity. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of have that drop off. So, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Boy Scouts or kind of like, you know, high school football mm-hmm. where it's like, man, it's just really fun. Everybody's doing it and it's the thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, you graduate college and are you still playing football or are you just like, go and you know move on so i think that's a a little bit of a challenge and i think having a bridge between nika collegiate cycling and a way of life you know bringing it into a way of life or for the elite riders bridge the gap between you know this sort of 
developmental cycling and elite level cycling. It's very difficult. So I think it would be really cool to see some um, efforts with NICA to kind of bridge that gap and keep keep people riding basically and find you know their own way to enjoy the sport. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. So you've been able to race all around the world, all kinds of places. What are your favorite places to ride bikes for fun? Like if you could travel and, and ride outside of Harrisonburg, where would you, where would you go? Oh man, I really love Canaan Valley. Super fun, really very different. Pisgah's awesome, you know, especially kind of the more raw backcountry stuff at Pisgah. Really enjoy that. BC, incredible. Um, really, really fun. Yeah, I like the rock riding. I mean, it's, it's one of the things I really enjoy. St. George is amazing. Sedona, off the charts, super, super fun. Anywhere there are like ledges and boulders and drops and yeah. skinny rock lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that stuff that, that uh, keeps you on your toes and takes some balance. Yeah, it sounds like you, you really like the technical style of riding. Was that always the case? Did you start out enjoying that? Always the case. I kind of tolerated the non-technical World Cups when I was doing them and the cross-country races. Sometimes they would have some good stuff. But if it got really nasty, like Snowshoe or you know Vermont, that was my jam. You know, roots and slick roots and drops and you know the nasty, you know, kind of the features and, and stuff that you see like in an enduro race. Yeah. You know, I'm a little, little more careful now after having broken my back twice, broken my face once, Ooh. you know, full maxillary fracture, three broken fingers, sprained or a broken wrist. I, don't, I didn't get an x-rayed. Anyway, <laughs> all these, all these injuries, you know, I'm like, okay, well now I, I equate unnecessary risk taking with not riding for six months, mm -hmm. not with a thrill of, you know, maybe landing a <laughs> questionable gap. So I'm, I'm discretionary with it. I really do love technical rocks. And if you see, you know, some of this stuff up on Massanut, I mean, it is world-class. Mm -hmm. So honestly, some of my favorite stuff in the world is right here. If you look at on MTB project or on, yeah, trail forks and you look at some of the, the local rides around here on Massanut and yeah, I mean, it's just so super fun. Yeah. I like the flow trail too. You know, I mean, it's, it's all just six to one, half dozen to the other. So it just depends on the, the mood. If I'm trying to cover distance, big climbs, flowy downhills. But yeah, I really enjoy just, you know, seeing the world by bike. I mean, there's cool stuff everywhere in the world. You know, I mean, you could be in New York City doing street riding, urban riding, mm -hmm. you know, and going down drainages and drain tubes and stairs <laughs> and concrete railings and stuff and doing wheelies on crazy old abandoned warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> docks and loading docks and i mean there's fun stuff no matter where you go on a bike and i think that's what's cool i've been to 30 different countries and there is cool stuff to ride everywhere so you just have to you just have to be creative and look for it i think that's the key yeah that's really cool and really inspirational i think for a lot of people who you know maybe where they live there aren't great trails or you know places to ride traditional places to ride but yeah like you said it's everywhere and you can kind of choose your own adventure. Yeah. And to that end, I'd say it's really important for us as mountain bikers to always be contributing, you know, and do that trail work once a month to donate to a local club that does the trail work or keeps the access to join IMBA to keep national access for, um, you know, areas that were potentially losing access. They also have a trail accelerator fund, which is really, really cool. Um, so they help work with local clubs to build trails close to home. So, you know, being a part of 
a squad or a crew. I think that's what's different about mountain biking now is it like all these factions, you know, and it's very separate and, you know, these people, you know, do their thing. The other people do their thing. And before, if you were a mountain biker and you saw another mountain biker on the trail, like, yeah, that's one of my people, you know, (laughs) yeah immediate like you know doesn't matter what you're riding doesn't matter if you're a single speeder you know who's out just getting the you know getting a rip on the local city trails or if you're an enduro racer or downhill racer and i think that's that's important for us to stick together collectively and and make sure that we stay you know part of our tribe and to keep trail access open you know to be respectful trail users whether you're on an e-bike or whether you're on a, a huffy you know it's it's really just about progressing the sport and you know creating the positive vibes and keeping the opportunities open building new trails maintaining existing trails always being really cool to other people out on the trail horseback riders cyclists runners you know we all you know are out there trying to share the trails so you know again it's it's our part you know part of why we're in such a good place right now and having access to unprecedented amounts of trails an amazing amount of new bike parks awesome built purpose-built mountain bike trails on public property Mm -hmm. is because we've created bridges and we've really um, worked with the forest service worked with state parks and in some cases even national park you know parks to yeah really create riding for everybody and, and really be good stewards of the land and i think when we're you know looking out for the land it's the best protection and we're enjoying you know those natural areas it's their best protection so it's kind of neat to be able to be you know see the story of mountain biking unfold since it's you know it's it's real inception mm-hmm. you know i came into it after it was you know a thing it was a sport but it was also kind of still everybody was still trying to figure it out we were all riding on hiking trails and we basically modeled the purpose-built trails after things we like to ride that were natural. Yeah. And so it's like really neat to see it now to where you have professional trail builders and contractors. I have friends of mine that, that do a lot of this stuff. And, and now it's, um, yeah, man, it's a growing sport and it's awesome. Really, really cool to see. Yeah, that's great. So what do you have on your calendar for this year, for 2020? Jeez. Funny you should ask. I just flew back from San Diego. We had meetings talking about all the stuff we're doing. Mountain bikes a, a big focus for Canyon. We've got um, a lot of awesome bikes, and you know we want to get those bikes out to where, to where people can see them. So mm-hmm. we've got a, a really stacked schedule that has a bit of everything. I'm focusing on off-road stuff. So basically, if it's gravel, uh, endurance mountain bike, you know, I might even go to the Enduro World Series in Vermont. Um, which would be super cool. Have yeah. some bikes up there, support some of the athletes that we have. Doing some content also, so doing some uh, you know expedition type stuff. Like I like to hit the world's toughest Strava hill climb. Oh, sweet! Where is that? That's in Hawaii. Ah, so so uh, not not to spoil it, but you know sea level to thirteen thousand feet in one shot. That's a big hill. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Mega kicker but i figure if uh you know something will motivate me to get in shape and and not eat too much cookies that, that's probably it <laughs> yeah but we'll have a bunch of events and you know a lot of the events i'll, I'll be kind of on the worker uh, i'll be working the events and you know sea otter classic we'll have demo rides we'll take people out on group rides have contests cool stuff like that yeah i'm gonna give this uh sugar cane 200 race 
down in Florida, 200 mile gravel race. I'm going to give that a whack. Oh, that'd be fun. If I can, uh, you know, as long as I'm healthy between now and then, that'll be super cool. In February, we've got uh, local gravel race, Pontani X. I'll do the uh, Mauna Kea climb in Hawaii. Mid-February, I'll probably do um, a training camp weekend with Bishop Training on uh, kind of the last week in February at Pocahontas State Park. In okay. March, we've got some early races coming up. Um, we've got things like Santos Fat Tire Festival, March 6th. So if you're in the southeast and you want to check out an awesome demo weekend where there's 50 miles of trails, fun contests, we'll, we'll be throwing some good contests and yeah. sort of party, party aspects into it. It'll be super fun. Yeah. Santos is always fun. That's a, that's a really good festival. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I thought that was really surprised how good the trails were there. You can definitely kill yourself on some of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's Florida, it's flat, it's gonna be fine. But yeah, you can you can really wear yourself out. Yeah, there's there's a good twenty foot drop over there. Probably not gonna touch that with with my cross country bike. But uh, I like to see someone hit it. But yeah, we'll have have that. We have Land Run, which is one of the top five biggest sold out gravel races in America in Oklahoma. Cool. And I have no idea what to expect there. But, uh, you know, we have some new gravel athletes, not to be a spoiler. Obviously, we've got Peter Stetna of World Tour uh, fame, but we've got a few other athletes. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. Who's going to be out there romping on uh, some canyons and and doing some fun stuff. And then we've got um, probably do a DuPont weekend, sort of training weekend in mid-March. So I've got a lot of requests for, you know, sort of these training camps. I'm going to have the Canyon bike so you can demo a bike if you want. Oh, nice. Uh, these camps. So yeah, it'd be really fun. We did a, a really cool thing with Chasing Epic last fall where people borrowed bikes. We did huge rides, had great food, hung out, had some beer, campfire kind of deal. Mm-hmm. It was actually a really, really fun way to get people on bikes. And then we've got, um, yeah, a little bit of everything. It's a real mixed bag. Looking at uh, possibly doing Tuck Fast April 24th through 26th down in Charlotte area. Yeah. Belgian Waffle Ride on May 3rd in SoCal. Yeah, man. Dirt Fest, Pennsylvania. First year for Canyon at Dirt Fest. But oh, nice. I think we're going to do it upright. You know, we got to definitely throw some interesting and fun party spin on that one. Not going to spoil it yet, though. But if you are looking for something to do, Dirt Fest is going to be interesting. Should be super, super fun. Yeah, then we also have Dirty Kanza, end of May. Probably going to do some more gravel racing there in June. I got to pick some mountain bike races. So now that we've got sort of some of this gravel stuff figured out, Offered Assault on Mount Mitchell would be super awesome to do that. Colorado Trail Race, I've got to make it happen. I've never done it before. It's a big one, yeah. Uh, that's an understatement, dude. That's like <laughs> – that's, that's – uh, yeah, definitely kind of crazy out there. Have you done a lot of those sort of bikepacking, either racing or just just doing them for fun? I have, yeah. I've done up to 20 hours nonstop. And I've done a three-day bike pack on the Virginia Mountain Bike Trail, which basically runs the border between Virginia and West Virginia, mm-hmm. like the top of Shenandoah Mountain. Um, I've done three days of that, which was an eye-opener. It's really freaking hard. So Colorado Trail Race, you know, I might be doing it stage race style where I do 100 miles a day type thing and actually sleep for a few hours. <laughs> I think that'd be a lot more fun is to, to do it, but you know, to experience it first is, I don't know how that sleep deprivation is going to treat me. No one does. Yeah. It's definitely a risk. 
It's wicked, man. I mean, people that think they are going to just jump into that and like race it mm-hmm. with no sleep for three days are freaking psycho. Like Kurt, <laughs> Kurt Ref Snyder, he's a former pro mountain bike racer, like cross country mountain bike racer, turned bike packer, expedition guru. Yeah, we're actually having him on the podcast next. So no way, that's super cool. He's <laughs> he's one of my heroes, man. He's like the real Indiana Jones. So yeah. a nice way is you know <laughs> he's he's like a geology professor, you know, by day, you know, he's probably like got his uh, his clipboard and his sample bags and is like taking students <laughs> out, right, collecting fossils and rock samples one day, and the next day he's he's like doing a. 700 mile insane bike pack desert expedition mm-hmm. you know, Arizona trail. I mean, he's like so hardcore, but he's also leading bike packing routes, which is a, a real pioneering group that's advocating for new routes. Um, they're doing a lot of really cool things to preserve um, and respect the land that they're there have these routes on. And he did a uh, Colorado trail this you know, past summer and it was pretty wicked conditions. I'd hoped I'd be able to squeeze it in, but I was kind of glad I didn't because of all the snow and avalanche damage on the trails. It's just a really tough year to do it. Um, so I'm kind of hopeful that it'll be a good season to do it. And, and maybe I'll be able to squeeze it into my crazy, um, summer schedule. But regardless, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of a neat time in mountain biking. We've got the new Epic rides race that's coming up in the Midwest. I don't know if I'll be able to make it to that, but you know, we've got, you know, a bunch of different stuff. We'll be at outer bike in Bentonville back to the, the kind of, um, you know, general schedule for the year. Mm -hmm. We've got a ton of, ton of, uh, events to, you know, hit and yeah, it's, it's going to be a real fun and exciting and exhausting year. Busy. Yeah. It sounds busy. Like that. I think you just went through like June. I think that was like half the year and, and yeah. 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 I didn't even touch August, but I'll give you the 10, 10 seconds of August, September and October. So we're doing to have the West coast team. We'll be out at Crankworks. We'll probably be at Crusher and Natasha. We've got, um, obviously dirt fest, the Enduro world series in August, Leadville 100 SBT gravel. So that's a double this year which is insane. So we're going to do, um, Leadville 100 expo. I don't know. I'm going to try to race one of the two things, but it's going to be insane. Cause we'll have to build the other expo while the other events going on in, in steamboat Springs. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of athletes doing this lead boat, which is like a combination of the two. You try to talk me into getting on a lead boat though, bro. I'm not getting on. <laughs> Sounds like a suicide boat. Right. That doesn't sound smart. Well, no, it'll be interesting. Someone will, um, Someone will make it stick and, and do well in both. But uh, I think with the work combo, it'll probably not be me. I'll probably pick one of those two races, have fun with it, and nail it. So August will be pretty heavy. But then uh, Alpine Loop Grand Fondo gravel training camp end of the week. Uh, we've got a new event end of August in Asheville. Stay tuned. Shenandoah 100, that's the usual. Might hit Marathon Nationals this year in Texas if I have any gas left in the tank. <laughs> We've got our event, the 10th annual Alpine Loop Grand Fondo, end of September. Super stoked about that. Can't believe it's been 10 years, but it's just uh, super cool, you know, to get people out on bikes and doing big shit. And yeah, man, getting in the mountains. Unpaved, middle of October, looks like a go. And then Big Sugar Gravel and Outer Bike 
Um, always fun. A little bit of single track, a little bit of gravel. Iceman cometh. And yeah, I'm probably going to fill in with 10 or so additional races. So Jeez. you got any good, you got any good <laughs> ideas for races that I need to go hit? Yeah. DM me, man. Always up for adventure. Yeah. That's an incredibly packed schedule. That's awesome. Yeah. I probably also hit some of the Virginia off-road series, but I kind of need to see where the bigger um, events hit, hit. I really wish we had the Snowshoe World Cup again this year, but I think they have to wait until next year before they they pull that one back together. But mm-hmm. I'll probably fill in with a stage race something. I'm not sure which, but I'd probably do like a Trans Rockies or a Pisgah stage race or something or a Swiss Epic. I guess Swiss Epic's not going to happen. It's in September, but it's busy. We got a lot of good stuff going on. <laughs> That's cool. Well, yeah, hopefully this inspires our listeners, you know, who are maybe planning their mountain bike calendar for 2020, you know, just, just to do like a tiny fraction of what you're doing, I think would be an awesome year for most of us. So, Hey man, or just come out and ride with us. You know, if you, if you have a, a chance to make any of this sort of mountain bike, you know, and sort of gravel tour, then, um, I'll try to post this probably in mid January and make sure that people know where we're going to be because we have a lot of really fun stuff going on. Bike demos, parties, hangs, um, Q and a sessions. We've got easy rides. We've got hard rides. We've got race races, obviously, you know, on that tour. Um, so we'll try to get, uh, you know, a little bit clearer tour that I can basically put it up on my website. I can also have it on Facebook and I'm going to try to, get that out second week of January, make sure everybody knows where we're going to be and where to find us. Um, there are a lot of awesome events out there. And if you set the tone now and you make some good plans, yeah, you can have time to get in shape and, and really enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for really getting us stoked for 2020. Awesome. Well, really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure and I dig the website and definitely, um, excited to to figure out my my bike setup for next year i'm gonna try a couple new couple new things and uh yeah man i'll be staying tuned to single tracks awesome thanks well you can keep up with jeremiah at his website jeremiahbishop.com and also on instagram and facebook that's all we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week